What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 817 Podcast. I'm Jimmy here with my co-host, EJ, and we are excited to talk about everything happening in Fort Worth and Tarrant County this week, from economic development to cultural things, trends, really anything you see or hear going on in the city. We read the news and try and distill it down into a less than an hour episode so that you can consume a lot of stories that I don't know, you might miss throughout the week. And that's why we post it on Monday, so you can kind of wake up, start your day feeling productive, and uh, know what's going on in your city so you can make the right moves in your lives as a professional, an artist, an entrepreneur, or whatever you do in this city. Jimmy, let's get ready to roll. Let's go ahead and talk about this topic. So the big topic today is we're going to cover basically uh, the relationship between development and density. Um, But before we kind of do that we're going to hit a, our first short story we usually do three short stories one big story today i would argue five of the six story five of the seven stories um are around development and density so you'll see an interweaving of things as we continue to talk but one that stands out kind of on its own and, and maybe we can find ways to bring it into the, the entire topic is education so um we are Our superintendent, Dr. Ramsey, is six months into her job, and on March 8th, International Women's Day, uh, she was able to give kind of a round table and uh, policy forum luncheon about the challenges the school district faces. Um, She makes a lot of good points, points that I think were good perspective for me. She talked about, um, like people talk about uh, about Fort Worth reading levels. Um, But what she kind of mentioned is she did a great example. Um, So she kind of talked about Fort Worth reading. She talked about um, positivity uh, and our branding around how we look at education. Those were kind of her two main points, at least based off of this Fort Worth report story. Um, But what I loved about it, Jimmy, was she kind of talked about people make this like reading thing a big issue. But she really kind of broke it down to it's a context issue. Meaning, no, kids can actually read. It's that the context that these tests are put in or the stories that they're asked to talk about, maybe they lack the context. So she gave the example of, I'm really into baseball, and I could read a two-paragraph baseball summary that has a lot of nuances about baseball and understand it. Mm. But if you give it to one of my kids, maybe they wouldn't understand it because they don't watch baseball. Mm. And so it's really a kind of understanding what you're reading that's the challenge, not necessarily that they can't actually read the words, which I thought that was a, you know, she talked about this as the knowledge gap. And to me, that that was that was refreshing for me to, me to hear about this. And I thought that was good. Um, and then she just talked about supporting our schools. What's your take? Yeah, I feel like the uh, if you just read all of the stories that come out in Fort Worth Report, Star-Telegram about Uh, kids reading levels you probably think that like every eight-year-old you run into in Fort Worth like doesn't know how to read you know like if all you're consuming is uh things about kids reading levels like you'd go to church or a coffee shop or I don't know wherever you socialize you see an eight-year-old and you're like can you read a little buddy when (laughs) it's not that like people can read words but the knowledge gap was a really uh, interesting and good way uh, to help like understand the context of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, but there was, there is, you know, another thing she kind of talked about is like um, 
the systems that they play in and how like we judge teachers and just the overall like public image of education and really what you know the second story i kind of want to hit today that kind of makes education this kind of three part three part piece so first was dr ramsey had her six months um the big part too is though due to falling enrollment um you know she talked about like positivity in education However, Fort Worth ISD is in the process of eliminating and changing administration jobs in a reorganization. Employees either must reapply for um, maybe a job that sounded like their old job or uh, retire. Um, yeah, or those like basically the options or retire uh, and take of the benefits or go find a new job. And so a lot of that is happening because enrollment's down um, and because enrollment's down. Uh, today, you know, the district has 10,600 employees, um, 5,000 of them, 5,200 are teachers, 809 are aides, 1,700 professional support employees, 366 administrative employees, and 2,566 auxiliary employees. Um, but they're, we're, you know, we were one of the top five districts to lose um, enrollment in, over the pandemic. So I know it's hitting us um, pretty directly. Um so what's your kind of take on on this kind of it as a superintendent, your role is to show positivity and everything's going in this direction. Uh, but yet you're also dealing with real numbers of, of challenges of, hey, um, the numbers are down. What's kind of your take there on her doing her role in her six months? But then also we're now having to let some admin go or rechange positions. Yeah, you you've talked before about how like Fort Worth ISD is bloated when it comes to uh, administration, um, especially relative to the number of teachers and number of students, which is interesting because like so often we hear that like schools are understaffed. And as far as classroom employees go, like we are struggling to fill positions. So I think that this is a good like, hey, I'm six months in now. I need to figure out how to arrange the district best to move forward with our enrollment trends and what do I need to do there and I think reevaluating something like the administration roles um, will probably be helpful for that it does it is tough to read like you know as of this week like I think there's I saw that I read something online that there's no more public schools in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and like that's been a fallout starting with hurricane katrina now it is snowballed into like everything has gone charter um you know we're looking at the school voucher program in texas florida is a little bit behind texas as far as like pushing for school vouchers but it's something that they are working towards as well um so you just look at the state of education and when you see falling enrollment, clearly you have to do something about it. I think this is a a good, healthy first step is to ask people in roles that we may be bloated at to either reapply or move on and let's go from there. Let's regroup and go from there. Yeah, I mean, to me, what you want from a a superintendent or any leader is able to do the hard things. Mm. And so this this isn't a comfortable process and you're probably going to upset a lot of people but you got to do what you got to do to sustain. I, I think to me, the ultimate kicker is like, 
I think, how do we get to more of an objective view of everything we do in life? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, it's like you have the, the real estate companies will say, man, office is going good. And then like the journalists will be like, oh, office is going bad. And like, you know, and it's like it, everyone feels like the journalists are out to get you or the government's out to get you. And then like, so like fourth ISD is like, man, politics has really made education scary. Mm. But as someone who works in education, everyone drinks their Kool-Aid. Yeah. I mean, every education conference I go to, it's the person who pits on the conference accepting presentations from people who are who they need to attend a conference so that they will pay to go to the conference. Mm-hmm. So the way you get them to pay to go to conference is get them to accept a submission to speak at the conference, and then they speak about how great they're doing, and there's never, like, really new voices or new faces. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... A lot of people, it's like, to me, we all got to be more cognizant on our, like, echo chambers we're creating. And, you know, um, I think it's okay for us to be in spaces and not feel like everything's going good. And, like, for us to be like, hey, we are being poor in, in, in certain areas. And a lot of it, too, though, is, like, this goes, you know, my biggest harp is goes all the way back to human behavior and what do we choose uh, as a group. So, um there's a last story on education that we want to hit. And this one I think is really exciting too. Um, because to me, it is a positive story. And, and, and to me, positive stories that where it's not like we have to, we have to drink our own Kool-Aid and say that we're, things are going great. It's a number. It's a, a number that's going up and it's something that we should continue to fund in Fort Worth ISD. And that is there's 22,000 adults, um, in an education program held by Fort Worth ISD. The Fort Worth ISD Adult Education Program uh, allows people to get their GED, and that number is rising, and it's in a partnership with the Workforce Commission of Tarrant County. This is also extremely important because of just like economic development and looking for jobs, and we talk about needing a talent workforce. And so like, what's so crazy about this number, right, Jimmy, we were just talking about, is like, we have 75,000 kids, mm-hmm. but... Fort Worth ISD also has 22,000 adults they serve. You're talking, now you, you could roughly say one of every four student in Fort Worth ISD is an adult. Yeah. So that changes the entire economic behavior. And what is a role of public education? Well, we're not talking about just fifth graders. We're talking about 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I find that very fascinating um, that, you know, they're, 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 we are removing off of some employees, but there's an increase in the budget for the adult education program. What is your overall, like when you hear this number, when you hear this take, how do you like look at that from the behaviors of our progress as people in education? Um, you see that as a bad thing as a good thing? Like, how do you look at it? My like initial reaction to the headline and like seeing the story is like, wow, that's awesome. Like we have 22,000 adults who are like taking the step to get their GED to for whatever reason that they didn't finish it before. Like they are choosing to go out of their way, spend their evenings, like their time that they should be able to rest from however many jobs they're working and finishing their high school education But then I I start to just like think through and maybe this will get into like the economic, the development piece as well. Um, Like, what are we doing to stop this? Like this being a number that is growing means that we're playing catch up from Mm -hmm. a long time ago, which is fine, right? Like we just talked about, you'd evaluate where you are, you 
figure out what you need to do to help course correct. And uh, Tarrant County, Fort Worth is a generally an undereducated air area relative to the majority of other places our size, which again, isn't a saying that's a, a negative thing. It's just saying that that is a, a thing and that's something that we're working to correct. So how do we from here go upstream and also, like, it's awesome that we are dedicating more money mm-hmm. to this, that we're increasing the funding for it to help us catch up. But now we look upstream and say, how do we make it so that this number doesn't have to grow? How do we help kids finish their high school education and then move on to college? Because, like, we're talking about we're talking about a, a GED, not... You know, we have all these adults coming back to finish their bachelor's or finish their master's. So, like, we're still in a community and in a city that is geared more towards blue-collar jobs, which, again, is not a positive or negative thing. It is just understanding the environment of where we exist. And so, you know, with Alliance, with having a lot of land and we tend to focus on attracting um, warehouses and blue collar jobs. Like, yeah, we do have a uh, population that meets those needs. But if you're a company looking to bring offices here, if you're a company looking for talent in the area, you are looking at this and saying, man, like that's a massive adult population needing to go back and get their GEDs. Then you look upstream at the school district. You look uh, upstream at the universities in the area and what are they doing around innovation or research? Oh, TCU's not a research institution. So Mm. like, I think it gives a very real picture of what our talent base and workforce is and that does lend itself to more warehouse type of jobs as opposed to office white collar type of workers yeah yeah um i mean to me i was looking at it too as maybe maybe this isn't a maybe this isn't a negative story and and here's why i'm saying it like in the sense of like maybe this is a new market opportunity for our public communities because the rise of immigration in America, and I think the rise of immigration that needs to happen in America for America to stay competitive yeah. moving forward. I have an article that I'll put into the um, descriptions, but just, you know, this is a December 2022 article, and it's talking about the data recorded in 2021 about our population growth. So our population grew only 0.4% um, in 2021, but check this out. The U.S. added 1.3 million people in the year that ended July 1st for a total population of 333.3 million people. That included 245,000 more births than deaths, a surplus that has long supplied much of the nation's growth. The other component was measured people moving in and out of the country grew by 1 million. So 1.3 million, we, you know, like between deaths and births, it was 245,000. Mm-hmm. So then the million people who moved in. So it's like these people coming from maybe eight, eighth grade educations, third grade educations. And 
oftentimes we people come wanting work fast, needing a program that can get them the uh, GEDs and the requirements they need to apply to work. So is this an opportunity for cities like Fort Worth, you know, where people come to for work, be a stopping ground for immigration uh, immigrants who are looking to elevate their careers to now have this kind of thing. And this is something that works. I agree with how do you solve it for the domestic students that we're not having students drop out. I'd be really interested to know how many of the people of that 22,000 actually even come from the state, the country, you know, like that'd be really interesting. No, that's a great point. And like, obviously we live in Texas yet. We're like the only one of the states that borders Mexico that complains about having a border problem. And the reason is because it's a easy political hot point to rally people behind. But as a state, we're very reliant on people immigrating to come here. And so, yeah, if Fort Worth can stand out as a place where you can come and there are programs set up for you to quickly get your GED, for you to really get on your feet and get going, like, I think that helps the city thrive in, in a yeah. big way. Yeah, to me, this is a – now, we, we, me and you were talking about positive and negative interpretations of the story. For education, the negative story is, oh, GOP, radical, we're, they're, they're brainwashing and grooming our kids. In hindsight, there's never a teacher who wakes up and says, I want to do bad to kids today, right? And it's like, so it's like, there is a positive story that our our superintendent's fighting for. That same story goes with immigration, right? Oh, they're jumping jumping their border and bringing in fentanyl and capturing our kids. That's like this negative. When really, this is an immigration story. Mm -hmm. Who knows how many of those 22,000 people you know, are immigrants, people who come from other countries who are now getting credentials to now work. And this is, these are the positive stories we need to have for public education and public services um, to to show that we are actually doing well with stewarding our, 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 our immigration talent so that they can find spaces in America to work. Right. And then what's the next step is we put you in this program to get your GED by partnering with Tarrant County. Now let's funnel you into TCC to some of our uh, just like certificate programs or um, for your degrees so that you can continue that trend. Like I think it, it, it helps set up the the funnel, the pipeline of how we can be helping develop the city into a, a really big talent base that hasn't been there in the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it also leads to our, our, our big topic, you know, what comes first? What is, you know, you know, we call it the Fort Worth's chicken and egg story. Is it the development or the density? Um, and so let's go ahead and move into how, um, even as we talk about education, uh, how does that also uh, link to getting jobs and how does the Alliance Texas of the world's, you know, create bridge jobs for these, these new graduates, GED graduates? How does... Uh, we find residents and locations and housing for the for 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 this group of people who maybe are transient. So a lot of opportunity here, and uh, you know, I feel like this story really is a good front story for the rest of the episode. Yeah, and I feel like Alliance is a good place to start um, because they were kind of the the centerpiece of City Council this past week. Uh, or Mike Barry gave a big presentation, but from Fort Worth's website. Uh, published March 8th, Alliance Texas surpasses $111 billion in economic impact. Um, 
that $111 billion generated is over the past three decades um, and over $3.4 billion in total taxes paid to local public entities. Uh, according to Insight Research Corp's annual economic impact report, more than $10.88 billion of the d- development's economic impact was generated in 2022 alone. Um, I mean, I think we'll like say some negative things about alliance coming up but like (laughs) we can say i you know multiple things can be true at the same time and i know that uh that is that that just needs to that's not the mindset that people walk into a lot of conversations that that just needs to be on a billboard (laughs) what you just said say it again multiple multiple things can be true at the same time (laughs) billboard the first thing that is true is that alliance texas is a powerhouse of regional economic development and as these numbers show, like that—that's a fact, and it's continuing to grow. Um, but we started reading through their like regional annual report, and you know we we're pulling out some interesting nuggets. Um, and then it was kind of contrasted with how East Fort Worth is being talked about in some stories that have come out recently in terms of economic development. And so that's kind of where the development versus density conversation comes into play because three decades ago, Alliance was not dense. And by like relative terms, Alliance is still not like a very dense place. Um, But a lot of economic development has happened there. And that has turned it into a thriving area and continues to make it a thriving area where, whereas when we're talking about East Fort Worth, we get stories and quotes from people that say that East Fort Worth isn't dense enough to, for companies to want to develop in and for retailers to want to develop in. And so that that's kind of the, yeah, the story density doubles is, is double that, Supposedly far north Fort Worth has double the density than East Fort Worth. And what you just said, though, like that, that number came from zero. Right. There was a point 30 years ago where East Fort Worth was more dense than Alliance, Texas. Yeah. So, yeah, just wanted to clarify for everyone. And uh, I don't, let's focus on talking about Alliance first. What, what's your uh, take on the couple of things that, um, you know, came up about Alliance recently? I... I, I <laughs> I think you had a good point on um, their property tax growth compared to ours. Like, you know, I mean, that 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 was a big one. Um, yeah. So one thing they're, you know, trying to tout is how much they're paying in local property taxes. So we started to look at the numbers from their chart. And uh, I mean, in direct property taxes paid to... Uh, I believe this is Tarrant County. Yeah, to Tarrant County from Alliance. From 2019 to 2022, that went from about 48 million to about 53 and a half million. That's about a 10% increase. You as a homeowner are having your homestead property taxes increase by 10% every year. And if you own a property that you don't have a homestead exemption on, I can almost guarantee that yours is increasing by more than 10% per year. So this is a massive corporation that says that they are growing a ton, yet their property taxes don't reflect that. And uh, so 
then it, it kind of leads me to led me to thinking about like every time there's an election and this was something that came up a, a ton in the 2021 election. I'm sure we'll start to hear it soon for the 2023 election is that we need to flip the property ta- we need to flip the tax base of Fort Worth right now. It's really dependent on uh, people's personal property taxes. And we want to flip that on to companies onto uh, corporations and have businesses foot that bill yet. And I, I'm sure that a lot of the agreements in place were there before the current council, but they still stand from the previous council and previous councils who have said this same exact thing where we're looking at a company, a corporation, an area that has developed $111 billion in economic development and they're not seeing the increases that we are on our individual tax bills. And I, that just kind of struck me. It really, it really stood out how we've seen alliances, property tax bills plateau over the last five years versus how much they were growing in like the 10 to 15 years before that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. And, and to me, it's like the fear though is like, you know, I think the reason why Alliance Texas was successful is because how friendly Texas and Fort Worth is to all of this. So, like, what you're saying is if we're going to switch it from property taxes on individuals to getting companies to pay for it, do they all run away? But in my mind, I don't think that's the case because if they're touting over here that we have a 12 to 1 investment ratio, meaning that I'm looking at here, um, let me find it here. Total investment in Alliance Texas surpassed fourteen billion in twenty twenty two, with thirteen billion coming from private sector. Okay, so public investment totaled one billion. Okay, so it's like it seems like they're finding ways to do what they do without the tax breaks, or you know they have the funds to be able to sustain even if the city asks for more rather than them ask more from the city. It, yeah, that, that kind oh, of my sure. that kind of that that ratio makes it seem like. They don't like this idea that they need a tax friendly city. Looks like they're fine with their private partnerships to do this wherever they want. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, Alliance is run by the billionaire and high millionaire class of Fort Worth who, you know, also kind of have their hands on the Chamber of Commerce, have their hands on all in local government as they have. And that's the the thing that the city has struggled to break away from for so long is how do we operate outside of the influence of these people? Um, and so, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of fingers that get greased um, when I it mean, comes to their property taxes. And that, that's not to say, like, I think both of us are not against companies getting um incentive packages to develop here like i you know that is a useful tool when it comes to attracting companies and to local economic development um and but but it stands out how uh drastically different their um marginal tax rate has been versus yeah any individuals yeah And, and let's be clear i mean we i am a Doing the education on Lions, Texas, the value it brings to not just our city, but the Texas to the country. 
Alliance Texas is going to be a massive powerhouse to the relationship with Mexico. Um, if, you know, if America needs to just to rely on America to, to survive, like Alliance Texas is a huge, going to be a value prop for us to be able to, the North Americas to survive, no matter what kind of food shortages, resource shortages, Alliance Texas is going to play a really big role on America's dominance uh, or sustainability domestically, regardless of what happens around the world. So I'm clear on all of that. I, I am aware of that. But but from the city of Fort Worth perspective, like where does city Fort Worth win in all of this? One, Alliance Texas is share. I mean, look at how many people benefit from the crumbs of Alliance Texas. The city of Fort Worth, Hazlitt, Roanoke, Northlake, Westlake, Coral City, Tarrant and Denton County, Northwest, Keller, Argyle, Independent School District, uh, right? City of Justin, City of Argyle. They, I mean, to me, what's kind of sad about that little number is all those are little places besides us. Like we have our little pot out asking for, you know, donation, you know, money from Alliance Texas. Um, Probably just like these little areas are. And that's like what's kind of like, you know, sad, I guess, in a way. It's like Fort Worth's economic success is 30 minutes north from its downtown. And we're out there asking for them to give us money so that we could build our downtown because this isn't happening in our area. Yeah, and uh, that kind of makes me think like when you think of the story of the Metroplex as a whole, like Fort Worth wants to paint this picture of itself as like this self-made city yet most of our development is thanks to growth in the east side of the metroplex in dallas in frisco in plano and just how much faster that all has grown relative to fort worth which you know for a long time has kind of been like the oil billionaires uh, i mean its roots are like the oil billionaires sort of play city yeah. um and uh, that's not to say that there aren't people working really hard to help fort worth develop economically that's just i don't alliance kind of feels like another branch of Fort Worth being on the tail end of economic development happening elsewhere regionally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I mean, look at the, so making this like, right, we started with Alliance, Texas, but like we now can like talk about like the development areas in the city, right? Like we're talking about building 125,000 square foot office space called the Mullet, uh, you know, in West seventh area. And you and I are like, okay, this seems like a slingshot, like, how, like, how do, do, like, this seems like a, who is saying that this is going to fill up with success, with companies and office space and people are going to fill up? That's a lot of space in an area that we've already proven people aren't shopping there, aren't going, you know, are dying. What's your take? You kind of had this, you brought this kind of up. Um, What's your concern about it? What do you like about it? When you now look at, okay, let's look at the projects in the loop compared to what Alliance is doing and like what is our best surefire bets that we got going on in the city? Yeah, I mean, I think like this like mixed use dense development 
in a vacuum is like a positive thing, you know, like now you've got where you can work in an office, like with an apartment, you know, kind of right next door with a bunch of retail underneath. You've got museums right there. There's a movie theater there. There's grocery, just kind of like a quick bike up the road. Um, but to me, like if they're, if we're building this 125,000 square feet of office space with knowing that companies are coming in to fill it, then like, okay, like I totally get it. But I, I don't think we're in an era of if you build it, they will come when it comes to office space anymore. And I mean, I've, I, I like the kind of flip side of what, you know, the Sundance Square downtown area is looking to do where it already has office space that, you know, maybe it's not full, but it's already got office space. And now we're trying to figure out yeah. how to get living in there to back it up. Um, but I don't know about the development of the the flip side. And I, I think for me, having been a small business owner is like an outside developer looks at this area now and says, oh, there's 125,000 square feet of office space. Like um, that means that there's a concentration of people coming in there every day Um and so if they own some of the properties or manage some of the properties in this area, they're looking at that as a justification to raise their rents and continue this kind of cycle that Fort Worth is in right now of pricing out a lot of locally based businesses um, for more like regional chains, yeah. you know, and, and I, I feel like that's. Or the Buffalo Wild Wings. Or the Buffalo Tom Wild Wings. Every time I go over there, I can't believe there's a Buffalo Wild Wings in the middle of the of, of Montgomery Plaza. I'm like, what the heck are we doing out here, team? And that's kind of what I think a lot of like the West 7th area has lost in that, you know, it lost Fred's. It lost uh, Magnolia Motor Lounge. Um, yeah. it, it's like losing these more locally based businesses for, I mean, the, you know, kind of trashy bars are still there. Ampersand is still there. Um hopefully Hatsuyuki never goes anywhere <laughs> that, that would be awful <laughs> but uh, I I feel like we are more into this more like corporatized chain and are losing a lot of the small business culture and the like potential for that I see of something like this coming in is now rent is increasing there's a justification to increase it further because you're saying that there's going to be this clientele of people that are always here in the office whether or not that's actually the case if it's full or not so i i feel like we're at this uh reckoning point where a lot of the like local businesses have moved on people are moving away from fort worth that existed in that space in the 2010s yeah it's fort worth we if it just feels like where is our leverage? Like what is what is the thing that like we're going to be bullied into being yes men to Alliance Texas. We're going to be bullied into being yes men to Texas A&M. And it's just like we don't have any leverage. It's like and that's the scary thing and it's just like so our our panic attack is like we have nothing but we have space. So it's like hey, Buffalo Wild Wings, build as many as you want. Like just come on. Like, 
<laughs> we need something. And it's just very, um, I think, what is our leverage, right? Because unfortunately, we don't have nature and, and, and good weather and, and nice parks and stuff. And this maybe that's why we need to double down on that kind of stuff. I don't know. But it's like, what is Fort Worth legend to everyone else besides like, we have a ton of space. Um, and it, and how like, do we leverage that? Like, it seems like they could go to, I mean, the battery areas, all kind of Tennessee, Kentucky, and, you know, they're building all this battery stuff in areas over there, not over here. Like, and then somehow Phoenix and, and 45 minutes west of Phoenix, they're building semiconductor land. It's like, we talk about like, oh, well, we have all this land and that's why we're a threat. Like, we're going to be the place people want to move to. But it sounds like that's not a true leverage because they have other options. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, so like just kind of uh, to break down the numbers of like what we're looking at for a small business to go into an area like this is like eight, ten years ago, you could find a, a space like I, I'm thinking of like Sweet Sammy's that's now uh, I think Insomnia Cookies, the cookie place they used to be in West 7th. They probably have a thousand to twelve hundred square feet in their their little storefront there. Um, typically, in the past, I I'm guessing that when they originally went into that space, they were looking at maybe like ten dollars a square foot in rent, which meant that each month, I bet they were probably paying like twelve to fifteen hundred dollars in rent. Uh, now. 30 to 40 dollars a square foot is not out of the question i i know that places in the stockyards when they got redeveloped were asking for 50 dollars a square foot so like let's say let's say we're at the 40 number like we're looking at 4800 dollars for that same spot so 4800 dollars divided by 30 days in a month like you're looking, you need to do $160 in sales every day just to cover rent. Like, you might think, oh, $160, that's not bad. Like, selling if, cookies. If, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a small business owner listening to this, like, you know how much of an uphill climb, like, a couple hundred bucks a day is. Uh, and so that's just pricing out these small businesses that can't exist in that environment anymore. And uh, there's obviously a broader conversation about like, how do we, you know, try and place controls around things? You know, we're in Fort Worth, we're in the wild West. Like we just want to let the market dictate. um, And the market is dictating what can survive in these conditions. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a small business task force in Fort Worth and in what are the three businesses they're focused on? We want to see more haircuts and salons, physical workout areas, and coffee shops. That's what those are how they're penetrating. We are good in small business. Like, I'm sorry if I have any friend who wants to do any of those three things today, I tell them don't. Yeah. That's a bad business today. Your rent's going to be too high. Um, there's too much competition, but yet we are optimizing what is good small business practice, but why? Well, because the two people who really run this country, I mean, this city is the city of Fort Worth. The way they get taxed is by office, offices being leased. And so that's, think about that. That's such a pre-pandemic concept. Like, 
how do we rechange how we sustain our cities when office spaces maybe don't come back to full health. But then the other people is Hillwood, Golf Capital, all these places who they're building these big buildings, pinning a lot of maybe not the strongest business minded people who are passionate about making cookies, passionate about giving haircuts to again do these 12 months, 18th month leases out of a crazy rate. And now they're out here making their money while we can't keep a business open, right? So it's just a, and this is the same with apartments, right? It's like the people who are winning there are these big real estate conglomerates. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 it's really not, hey, man, the pricing of, of what you just said is just insane. Like how high it's gone up, especially over a place where you clearly see things are not thriving when they try. Right. Food yeah. hall, not there anymore. Yeah. So, well, and, uh, I, I think another like thing that I'll tie into this, I was going to use this as my, my loss, but I'll find another one is we're already 42 like, minutes in. So, you know, you can yeah, bring, bring it's ta- talking about winter weather and like, you know, February is a sucky month for small businesses because it's already shorter yet. Your, uh, fixed costs are the same. And uh, now, you know, we're just going to call it how it is every year. Fort Worth is going to have a freeze and the city basically shuts down. So now you're going almost like a, another week. So instead of having 30 or 31 days, you're already starting at 28. Now you're looking more at like 21 or 22 days mm. to try and make up your fixed costs, which are already inflated coming off of a month in January where people stop spending money because they've spent all their money in the holidays. Like I don't, you know, I, I, the city has bought a couple of like machines to try and help pre-treatment, which in the future should help. But there, we also need to figure out this cultural shift of like, how do we stay safe when it freezes, when it inevitably happens every year now and help support businesses in that during that January, February timeframe, because that could be a nail in the coffin for a lot of businesses coming off of the holidays and now looking at two months of like, how do I make my basic fixed costs right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, let me go ahead and like, let's just kind of like accelerate into the, like we, I want to hit the, we're going to go a little longer today, but I want to still hit the developer and density convo. Right. I mean, you said something that struck a lightning, like aha moment in my head was you just said Fred's burgers. You remember when Fred's Burger was the only thing over there? Yeah. There was no density, but somehow they invested over there, and now there's things over there. It goes back to what you just said. Alliance, Texas was not Alliance, Texas 30 years ago, right? West 7th wasn't West 7th 30 years ago. So is it development first or density first? When they talk about East Fort Worth, they're calling it density, right? And it's and, and like, oh, it, we're not dense enough. But those places weren't either. And now you somehow found a way to make them dense. So what what is your take on um, the density story? It was in the Star Telegram. Um, our boy Harrison Mantis wrote the story, um, and and I know we're talking about all all like the like what is first? Is it do we need to be listening to the developers saying it's not dense enough, or is that BS? Yeah, I mean, I call BS, and this is kind of where the this whole um, story started with was 
uh, there are a few things around Fort Worth this week, and one thing that it's talking about it that one of the stories talks about is why developers aren't coming. They say that East Fort Worth's problem is density, said former city council member Carrie Moon. Good old careless Carrie. We haven't talked about him in a while. Um, <laughs> he pointed to Fort Worth's densest zip codes north of Loop 820, where the new HEB is going along with a bunch of other amenities. To me, density is code word for household income. And that's mm. that the household income isn't dense enough, but... They can't say that, oh, you're too poor for us to invest in you because that's not cool. So they're going to fall back on this thing of density. Um, he says East Fort Worth says no to everything until they get a Starbucks or grocery store first. And while I know Kerry doesn't have a great history of listening to his constituents, I would say that kind of proves out as well is we have this community and area of people that have been saying for decades we need a, we need grocery stores over here. We need fresh food. And yet, like, that's not happening. So I think overall, like, when we talk about development in East Fort Worth, this density term gets thrown out. But what it really means is that we think your area might have too much crime. We think your household income isn't high enough for us to invest here. And it just perpetuates this cycle of, like, oh, we can come up with an excuse to not develop there and take our dollars up here. Yeah, and you, and, and, and we talked about um, like a part of these stories that kind of made East Fort Worth also um, an opportunity is, you know, last episode we talked about all the land between downtown and east side. Um, and we did that land ratio equivalent to the Hewlin exit, right? Hewlin exit to downtown is the same space between downtown and the oakland exit mm -hmm. which has gateway park which has the metro bus system one of the the mecca kind of metro system stop um so what is kind of like what you also want to say on like this story about gateway park could see millions in public and private investment so it seems like somebody's starting to see uh, opportunity um it looks like the, the the it's already set to receive eight million for park improvements this year uh, and Frost Brothers Resources, uh, which owns about 230 acres adjacent to the park, is seeking a master development to build something that is complementary to the park and its surrounding communities. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what's your take there? Honestly, it made me chuckle because uh, <laughs> when we bought our house over here seven years ago, like there was a master plan for Gateway Park. That has just like not happened, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's been, you know, little parts of it that have been developed, but it's still not accessible. It's hard to, for being as massive as it is. It's like hard to get to. There's no way to get from the neighborhoods south of 30 across over to there in a, you know, safe way. Like there's not even bike lanes going over the bridges that take you over Oakland or take you yeah. over beach or on beach over 30. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, Oakland, uh, or not Oakland, Oakhurst neighborhood has developed a little faster than mm -hmm. the Meadowbrooks have. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that they're looking at more development over there. I think that's a healthy thing for the area. Um, they're talking about retail, multifamily housing, a sports complex with additional soccer fields. Uh, hotel Man, businesses like retail and restaurants. What a great place for a uh, you know minor league soccer team to build a a 
stadium for them, right in the heart of downtown, all this land, beautiful park and river right behind it. I mean, technically, it. it's Carrie Moon's district. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe he was listening to the pod and said, you know, right, I can't do this in color with all my other brethren. I got to give him something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I mean, this park is awesome, but you're right. I never go. I mean, um, but they have the big the big Fort Wolf dog park um, and it's it's a great area. I mean, the, the kicker is in the summer, it's irrelevant because there's no shade or yeah no space nothing I mean, along the yeah, river. yeah 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 and and so that's that's difficult but yeah i mean that that was a part and uh, i also know you wanted me to kind of hop to this uh plans for also a more efficient bus system in east lancaster so when you look at broadening all the way across like this this main story today is about you know in the star telegram the paper said that the problem with east fort worth is that density while the same time alliance has now just surpassed 111 billion three billion plus in property taxes but and north north fort worth is more dense than east fort worth today but the argument is what we're trying to say is i don't think this is a chicken and an egg that the narrative tries to tell us is that oh you guys aren't dense enough so we're not going to develop we have already showcased how far Fort Worth wasn't as dense as East Fort Worth 30 years ago, but someone developed the area. Fred's Burger was the only thing in West 7th, but you developed the area. And so really the conclusion that we're trying to get to this episode is that there's massive amount of potential to develop in East Fort Worth um, because you got Gateway Park and you have a uh, the closest, in my opinion, of a bus route that can be efficient, that is actually city friendly and can get you to spaces. Um, Want to kind of jump into what makes you excited about the uh, the bus system story? Yeah, or what makes me not excited? Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, the so you know we've talked about this bus rapid transit system that has been floated for a few years now. Like it's crazy. I mean, time of the last three years is not real. Um, but it's been three years now that we've been talking about this potential rapid bus system down Lancaster. Um, the 2020 Transit Moves Fort Worth plan identified East Lancaster as a corridor that could benefit from the faster and more efficient bus system. You know, we've got a lot of neighborhoods around here where if people could get to downtown faster, um, you know, potentially that gives opportunity for economic development there, more people coming to live and develop down here, people that are downtown taking a bus to businesses that are out here. Um, but as always, plans are changing and funding issues have emerged. Um, so the idea coming from the transit authorities is, hey, we think that bus rapid transit is the best option for that corridor, said Chad Edwards, vice president of planning and development at Trinity Metro. Um, but there's other people that don't think that, which is why now we're doing a study to try to figure out, okay, what's the best way to do that? It just feels like we're kind of going back and forth. Um, Kelly Porter, assistant director of Fort Worth's transportation and public works department says, you know, it's really a complete street project overhaul. The roadway's old. It's got to be rebuilt. And that has to happen regardless of transit or not. And that's kind of getting lost. So, you know, we've neglected East Fort Worth for so long and Lancaster for so long that 
we've got a lot to do to get up to speed. We have to basically completely rebuild the road. Um, you know, if you didn't know before I 30 was built, East Lancaster was how you got from Fort Worth to Dallas. And so that's why you see a lot of really old signage along the road. It was a thriving place that kind of got killed by I-30. Another another thing you talked about on the off the pod is how Lancaster roads are very similar to Camp Bowie's roads. And we pulled it off at Camp Bowie as well as another place that their roads are relatively shaped similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this whole idea that it's a us problem is just crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's uh, people in other organizations saying that, uh, they don't think that a bus lane down the middle is the right idea. They think that would mean tearing up trees. I'm like, there's so many cities around the world who have figured out how to put bus lanes in the middle of roads and not tear down and still have nice looking trees and intersections. This would be so cool though. Yeah. I mean the, uh, potential pictures of it look awesome. Um, you know, there's other people in Dan Boren, president of the East Fort Worth business association basically says, you know, I Fort Worth's a car-driven city. I don't know if it's going to embrace mass transit, which is another chicken and the egg thing of uh, we're not going to build it because people use their cars instead of let's give people options and see if they use their cars. Mm. Um, you know, we just lean further and further into being a car-only city. Um, and so I don't. It now it seems like as they're applying for smaller chunks of grants instead of one big grant. We're looking at maybe three to four years before this could potentially start. They already, I mean, 2016 was when the East Lancaster Complete Streets Project was submitted to the U.S. Department of Transportation for a grant to help revitalize the area. So we're looking at 10 years later from that, maybe starting on revitalizing this area. So as we throw out bonds to build more roads and develop North Fort Worth, we're doing the same thing that we did 30 years ago when we started, when Alliance started to be developed and we pushed all of the population of people experiencing homelessness down Lancaster and neglecting East Fort Worth and Lancaster again and again, where maybe we need to be looking at East Fort Worth bonds for how to make this happen. Um, but I don't know. Again, you might hear the density argument come up of why should we invest in East Fort Worth? Our business is going to come here. Um, but we've shown that we can develop other areas before they're dense. Yeah. Well, that's a good transition into the conclusion of the episode we always do wins and losses as our last segment so three short stories one big story i know today was a little bit more of a doozy because we traveled across kind of six stories at once uh about alliance texas and its development to east side story about not dense enough for development uh but jimmy what is your win or my loss. Oh, yeah. Go ahead with your loss. Yeah, we'd like to end on a positive note. Go ahead with your loss. Uh, my loss, this comes from Fort Worth Report, a $26 million dilemma. Fort Worth solicits feedback on future Fort Worth Community Arts Center. Um, you know, we have this amazing building, the Fort Worth Community Arts Center. It is owned by the city of Fort Worth, and um, it is 
operated uh, by a handful of nonprofits, um, including Arts Fort Worth, which is the nonprofit contracted with the city to manage its public art and connect community members to the arts and relevant resources. Um, honestly, there's a lot of cool things that happen in the Fort Worth Community Arts Center, but because we as the city only own the building and don't really take on the responsibility of maintaining it or developing arts in the city, like we contract that to somebody else, um, that nonprofit hasn't had the resources to keep up with repairs. So now we're like $26 million in repairs behind and we're trying to decide what to do with it. It is being considered as a potential location of the forthcoming African-American museum. Um, but they're holding a forum at 6 p.m. on March 30th at the Sanders Theater um, to talk about what would be a good use of the space. I'm making it my loss because I, I wish the city would own things like this and actually developing the arts culture, the arts subculture in Fort Worth rather than just the, you know, more sexy modern um, and those museums. But, you know, develop that grunge a little bit more that comes from independent art organizations. And I would hate to see something happen to this building because it does serve a purpose in the city. And I also think that there's a communication gap there as well, where when we look at putting in money to redevelop it or fix it up or whatever it is, like we need a better way to communicate with residents what goes on there because right now I would say 99% of the city has no clue or has never even walked into that building. No idea. Never, never knew. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, my loss is that we, we do a bad job as a city messaging what happens in there and I would hate to see something happen to the community arts center. Appreciate you. Uh, my loss is something that uh, I read in the paper this week in the Star-Telegram, uh, and it just, Fort Worth is really celebrating its violent crime numbers falling to Fort Worth fell 13.4% in 2022, the city announced uh, last Friday. And uh, to me, the part of the story that I think is a loss is that, you know, Fort Worth is a sprawled city. And we spend a lot of our tax dollars on police force. So all the things we just talked about for 55 minutes, it gets no money compared to the police force. Um, but a 2022 police analysis showed that 2.9%, 3% of the 824 police reporting areas, uh, it accounted for 22 0.4% of the city's reported violent crimes. Um, that area is no bigger than a few blocks. So that means a quarter of all of our problems uh, in Fort Worth is happening and 3% of our blocks in our city. And I think that's a loss because those are historically undersupported, historic um, places that are in so-called non-dense areas and so-called areas that aren't getting what Alliance gets, what West 7th gets, and it just supports this conversation that, um, you know, maybe development 
and maybe opportunity and education is the true solution of these areas. Mm. Um, but the loss is that instead we're using what you just said, Jimmy, the word that, oh, it's not dense enough as a way to stay away from where our greatest areas need support. Mm. What's your win? My win is workwear giant Carhartt is eyeing Fort Worth as its preferred destination. This is important to know. It's a preferred destination for a 1.2 million square foot distribution center. Um, this showed up on the docket last week to be talked about. Um, now, you know, it's interesting about that. Other cities can see that this is being talked about and maybe could offer kind of a better deal. Like, so, you know, this is a complicated matter, but the city of Fort Worth will weigh incentives for the project, which would bring about 500 full-time jobs to the city. Um, the site of proposed distribution center is at 1601 Wolf Crossing Street, west of Texas Motor Speedway. So there you have it. I mean, you could not be actually in the city, but next to Alliance, Texas, where our true city uh, lives. And uh, But here's what's kicker, guys. Here's something we have to hear. Some real numbers on this. Carthart is a $2 billion company with 5,500 5, employees. Remind you, I just said that the city of Fort Worth ISD has over 10,000 employees. Not saying that's good or bad. I'm just trying to show you the size of public districts and the dollars spent on them and the outcomes compared to large companies who have half the employees. This is a, I think just numbers uh, are, are important to see uh, across sectors. Now, um, something that I'm going to say here, maybe I'll save this for another pod for a deeper combo with you unless you want to get into it. Maybe Fort Worth's new story is going from Cowtown culture and cowboys to blue chip culture. Let me explain. Carhartt, workwear, Dickies, workwear. We are this blue collar work, blue chip. That's the new brand. We make the blue collar. Yeah, <laughs> we, we make, you know, all the things. And so is the new brand of Fort Worth really like goes from cowboy boots and cowboy hats to like the modern century Carhartt Dickies wearing employee construction workers, right? Like this gritty blue collar. I like it a little bit. Like I, I think cause it kind of gives me um pride, you know, Detroit, Memphis, that pride, mm. you know, I don't know. Just a thought. My win is a, a new group aiming to bring Fort Worth entrepreneur community out from under the radar. That's the Fort Worth Innovation Council, which will provide speakers, panel discussions, job fairs, and hackathons in hopes to build up a community. Um, you know, anytime we see people come together to try and elevate the entrepreneurs of the city, that's something we want to highlight. Um, and, you know, these guys have worked with the people at the Health Science Center with Marco at Sparkyard um, to talk about how we can to continue to develop and do that, develop the undercurrent of the, the city, which does include a lot of entrepreneurs. So I'm excited to see another group coming into the fold to try and help provide resources and help uh, to try and make that happen. Love it. Awesome. Yeah, and maybe they could... Um you know start with the east side and figure it out um but hey guys hopefully you felt value in this episode uh we talked about a lot of information and um if you ever have anything new things coming up uh, things you want to address that you think we should be talking about that'd be great i know a lot of stuff slides by us um as we read the news 
and uh, talk about what the future of Fort Worth. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, subscribed. If you have a friend who you think would really like it, make sure you share it with them. Um, and uh, we really, truly enjoy doing this with you guys and for all of you who listen. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next week. Yeah.